everyone, and welcome back to another episode of You Like That, the pop culture podcast hosted by myself, Emily Liker. I'm so happy to have you back. Uh, I am very quickly getting out of the original rhythm I had intended on for doing these in, but basically I'm like, if I get one pod out per week, I think that's a good a good standard for now, and who knows, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be able to pick it back up, um, but I'm trying to get, like, really specific topics, really timely topics, especially now as we move into what's going to be, like, a very content-heavy spring, and I also want a lot of my friends to be on it, so, um, been trying to figure out that, and, like, the order of when people should come on, and stuff like that, yada, yada, yada. Big topic for today's episode is going to be the Batman, which I saw this past Sunday with a bunch of friends from the sports desk. They were all very well behaved. I was a little worried. Um, a certain someone who some of you might know was going to be very talkative and he was not uh, during the movie. We all had a great time. If you haven't seen the movie yet, if you haven't seen The Batman directed by Matt Reeves starring Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz um, and a bunch of other people, you might not want to listen to this. Then again, like if you're one of those people that like likes to be up to date on stuff, but isn't planning on going to the theaters to see this movie or like doesn't care about spoilers, then by all means, power on. I'm going to dive into it pretty immediately though. So like I'm, I'm putting the spoiler warning in place now. Maybe I'll play a little sound. Putting it in place now because instead of just kind of rambling for 10 minutes in this opening section, I wanted to talk about leitmotifs, L-E-I-T-M-O-T-I-F, which is a musical motif in film. So basically it can either be a succession of singular notes or harmonic progressions, rhythmic patterns, or even like the same song presented multiple times, like in accordance with like a particular plot point or a character or whatever. A really obvious one is the Imperial March always is played when Darth Vader enters a room or is like involved or is used, parts of it are used in other scores at different parts of movies when Darth Vader is referenced or comes in. So like that's a great example. Like another, another one would be like the Jaws theme, not a movie, but in Hamilton, there's like a specific little um, I think it's like three or four notes that play every time, I believe it's every time that Hamilton mentions the Schuyler sisters. So it's like, the Schuyler sisters. It's something like that. Um, so yeah, basically it's like a repeated song or succession notes, yada, yada, yada. I've been saying that a lot this podcast. It's similar to any other motif like that you would find in like literature or things like that. But the reason I wanted to talk about it and the reason that it's related to the Batman is that Ave Maria, which is a like Catholic prayer song um, based off like Hail Mary. The song plays is, is sung by like a children's choir at like three different times during the Batman. It plays right at the very start as the Riddler, who we don't realize is the Riddler at, is at first, is staring into the mayor's apartment. He's getting ready to kill him and this is playing. And oh boy, things are clicking for me even in my head right there because 
as he's looking in, one of the first things we see is a small child. Oh my goodness. Is a small child. It's the mayor's son. Um, and that's one of the first people we see. Then it plays again when we're at the mayor's, when Bruce is at the mayor's funeral. Hail Mary, full of grace. Mary, full of grace. Mary, full of grace. Hail, hail the Lord. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary. Continues, Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Pray, pray for us. Pray, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, the hour of our death, the hour of our death, the hour of our death. Hail Mary. So, obviously, like, even within the song, which is literally just, like I mentioned previously, like, Hail Mary, but musical, <laughs> there's repetition and I think like the hour of our death thing is very very potent especially in the way that it's used um I like don't want to ramble about all of this too long but I think that's just it's something to pay attention to in movies it's something that I always pay attention to and so like I'd urge other people to um I know in a movie like the Batman it can feel like overwhelming to pay attention to all the little details but I think in the grand scheme of things, like music is an easy detail to pay attention to and can actually tell you like a lot about how you're supposed to perceive a, t a scene or what you're supposed to understand about a certain character. So I think the fact that Ave Maria is sung at multiple times surrounding death and surrounding this small child, like that's obviously really impactful. Mary, for those of you who aren't Catholics and potentially know nothing about Catholicism marries the, the mother of Jesus, the son of God. Um, and I don't think that there's supposed to be like any implication of like holiness on like the mayor's son or whatever. But there's also been lots of talks about the mayor's son being like a stand in for Bruce Wayne as a child and like a way for us to understand how he's processing the events of his own childhood through seeing this kid around so I think it's I think it's all really interesting to think about that was very rambly I need to start scripting these I think anyway I don't want to offhandedly mention that I have a connection to Hail Mary and then not wrap back around to it so I'll mention I'll talk about that real fast and then I'm gonna send it to our guest segment I come from a family of singers like everyone sings so my grandma my mom's mom used to used to sing at church all the time, would be like hired to sing things. Um, she's like in opera, like a trained operatic singer. And um, years ago, I found out that she sang the Ave Maria in like an, an X-rated film or like maybe the film wasn't X-rated, but it was like an R-rated film and played over an X-rated scene of like someone having sex in a bathtub or something like that. I've never seen it. I need to ask my mom about it again. But that's not really the personal connection. The personal connection is that my mom used to sing it all the time um, back when she sang at church and we would go to church all the time. Uh, and people people would compliment her all the time. And it was always really nice to hear my mom sing the Ave Maria. So it's one of those songs that I instantly recognize. And it was it was really fun getting to kind of analyze and react when it came up in this movie. With that, I'm going to continue the Batman talk with my two, two guests this week, 
my very good friend, Christina Long, and her boyfriend, who is a huge Batman fan, Corey Stewart. Okay, so Corey and Christina, you guys went and saw Batman on Thursday night when it opened. I just saw it like an hour ago, so pretty fresh in my head, but really excited to talk about this. This is only the fourth Batman movie I've seen, and I've only seen the other ones, the Christian Bale ones, one time each. So I'm pretty new to this, but I know you both have seen them more than me, Corey, you especially. So tell me a little bit how each of you like got into Batman what your thoughts on the character as a whole are. So I'm like you, I had only seen, I've only seen the Christopher Nolan, uh, Christian Bale ones. Um, and we did a rewatch in the last like week before the movie. So that was only the second time that I had seen them. Um, the first time was like in college, like it was recent. Um, and I haven't watched any of like the animated stuff or the older, I've always wanted to watch like the Keaton ones or are there multiple people? I don't There's even two. know, okay. I've always wanted to watch the Keaton ones, but just never have like me and literally every other movie and show that I want to watch. Um, but yeah, so, and I, you know, I really like the the Christopher Nolan ones, um, but I've only seen them twice, but you are a Batman head. I am. Uh, Batman has always been my favorite superhero. Um, I think it started when I was a kid. Uh, my brother and I had this Super Nintendo video game of Batman Returns, which is the second of the Keaton movies. And uh, I remember just like playing that game all the time with my brother. And then we would like go watch the movie after playing it. And that was the one with Danny DeVito as Penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. So it's funny that two of the characters in that movie were also in the Batman. Um, but from then on, I always kind of, and you know, back then when I was a kid and stuff, superhero movies weren't as common as they are now you know there weren't as many of them there weren't seven of them from various franchises coming out every year so you kind of rewatched more and you didn't have as much new experiences um and so like yeah as the Christopher Nolan movies came out uh they were always event movies for me and the Dark Knight I have for pretty much since it came out I've Held that it is my favorite movie of all time. Um, I rewatch it maybe once a year at least. Um, and I used to—I was joking with Christina because leading up to our rewatch of those movies, I was telling her that I would be like driving and just playing scenes from The Dark Knight, like in my head. Like I was just watching the movie in my head because I love it so much. I can relate to that because I do that with the Star Wars prequels. So you are not alone in that. Um, yeah, and for everyone listening, Corey is older than Christina and I. So that's why he was referencing the, the Michael Keaton movies as being part of his childhood when I probably was not even alive yet. Uh, but anyways. 40-year-old man over here. The Batman was obviously super hyped. Uh, Robert Pattinson... Zoe Kravitz, Matt Reeves directing. Um, I think one thing that had everyone a little nervous was the runtime. I will say there were some moments where I got a little, not tired, like I felt like I was always engaged in the plot, but there were moments in the last hour where I was like, okay, the movie must be ending. And then a whole new plot point was introduced. Just what did you guys think overall of the movie and the plot and how long it lasted? I felt like part of why it could have been shorter was there was so much, everything was very 
long and slow and drawn out as far as like even people's movements, like lots of lingering gazes, slow walking, you know, things like that. That was something we talked about right after we saw it. And I didn't mind it because a lot of it is like suspense building and because it's such a beautifully shot and it's, you know, the music is beautiful. Like because of that, I don't, it wasn't like I was bored. I felt like I was in suspense the whole time. Um, I honestly felt like there were definitely several points where the movie could have ended, but I didn't mind. I didn't feel like I ever had like a here we go again moment. I felt like it flowed together well enough that I liked it, but what did you think? Yeah, and a lot of the the suspense and the tension and just the overall nature of the Riddler and how Batman had to, you know, solve his puzzles and be a detective, the length and how they played everything out just made it feel more earned. Because if you have something like that where this guy is he makes these riddles that no one can solve and only Batman can solve it. But then if he just shows up and they're all, you know, done in 10 minutes. Although I will say freaking every time the Riddler has a riddle, everyone is like, I'm so confused. And Batman literally knows it immediately. And I'm like, at his breath too. He's like, oh yeah. The, you're like how how are you doing like are you doing real Corey was like and, his nyt crossword streak is so long <laughs> and and we will probably get to alfred in a little bit uh but <laughs> i think alfred alfred was done dirty early in this movie because he doesn't have a lot to do but his first involvement is the plot is him attempting to solve the riddler's first riddle And yeah, Bruce just like walks up basically and says, no, you're wrong. (laughs) It's this. (laughs) You're right. He was done pretty dirty. There's, there's a couple like instances where there was like so many characters I felt that like could have been built upon. And then we were only getting little snippets of them. So like, it'll be curious to see how characters are like repurposed, I think, in like future films, which we can talk about in a bit. Um, But to the point of like the detective nature of it, like, yeah, I love that because I was going in thinking it was going to be all action you know like MCU like these days everything is just like action 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 um so I liked the detective part of it what was your guys's favorite riddle do you remember (laughs) I don't know that I have one but I was curious if anyone had one they wanted to point out I will say I I had a healthy chuckle at the reveal of the thumb drive oh that was good that was really good and how Batman just knows immediately he's just try this (laughs) he just knows yeah I liked that one I liked that they were all I liked the um the rat thing because it reminded me of 1984 and like I didn't like watching a guy like be tortured by rats but like the it was interesting how that was kind of the first indication of him like trying to like take down like the system or whatever and he was like everything had like multiple meanings and like symbols and so I liked that and then how he like buried like hid his cipher on like the rat cage and stuff it was crazy Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my favorite, and it was probably like the least riddle of all of them, but like at the end when he had the like carpet tool that had been used in one of the murders and like it kind of relied on someone else telling him what it was and like then he was able to put together. I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so Alfred, you wanted to talk more about Alfred. Um, I would love to. I would also love to talk about um, Colin Farrell as the penguin because holy cow. I, I totally forgot I like known going in that he was I guess I mean I knew he was penguin I knew he was in the movie but I remember thinking honestly the entire movie I was watching Riddler and being like 
man, can't believe Colin Farrell is the Riddler <laughs> because I just knew he was a villain. And I was like, well, it's not, you know, I was like, whose face have we not seen? I was like, okay, well, it's him. And then at the end of afterward, when I was looking up, I was looking up the Joker thing at the end and I was like, oh shit, that was Colin Farrell. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. It was good though. He was, he was great. And I guess he's getting an HBO show. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Leaving the movie and thinking about like, potential sequel plot lines and directions that this universe might go in i was very intrigued by the penguin and his path moving forward because uh, we had talked about it a little bit i know you two are big daredevil heads <laughs> and huge fans of wilson fisk and all his shenanigans mm -hmm. and i feel like in the batman world penguin is probably the best comparison to that kind of character and the way I put it to Christina when we were talking about it was Carmine Falcone, you know, the mob boss that kind of owns Gotham. He is Wilson Fisk, but Penguin is Kingpin. Because usually when, when Batman is, he in all the renditions of him coming into, you know, being the hero he is, it's always he's fighting corruption, the mob, and Carmine Falcone is at the head of that. But as he moves forward into his just career as being Batman and as things evolve in Gotham, the Penguin really rises to the top and takes over that criminal underworld, you know, head of the table kind of role. And I'm really excited to see this Penguin with Colin Farrell and see what he does with that. Yeah, and you know, be, it being on HBO, like, it'll be hopefully violent. It'll be like very, like very intense, which will be nice. Cause I, I mean, like the aesthetics of this film were just phenomenal. Like the settings and like you, Christina, you mentioned the music and stuff, like all of it was so good. Another character, um, or I guess another actor that I thought played their character very well was I loved Jeffrey Wright as Gordon. I thought he did really well. And I thought his and Robert Pattinson's dynamic was really good. And like, they were almost more of the dynamic duo in the movie than cats like Selena Kyle and Batman were, I thought, because I honestly thought the tension was kind of lacking there. There was not as much sexual tension in the movie as there had been in all of the promo for it. Do you not agree with that? <laughs> I kind of do. I feel like because he is not like, it's all her like flirting with him and he never does any like he just like doesn't know how to be a guy so he just like is just very serious all the time and she's like trying but um I I didn't feel I, I agree that they it was probably hyped more than what we actually got like they made it seem like that it was going to be different than it actually was and then as far as um him and Gordon being more of a duo I feel like they spend more time together honestly um or like a achieve more together mm -hmm. and now yeah I was gonna say that too about Selena is she had really long spurts of just disappearing from yeah. the movie and that probably hurt a lot with you you know feeling that connection to her but then also the connection between her and Bruce whereas Gordon yeah I mean they're they were basically buddy cop I mean I love the scene of Batman needed to get out of the police department and so they go off and he says to just punch him and run yeah but they always you know they're always on the same page and they're they're always in sync and I also liked how with I guess Selena is the one exception to this but everyone that Batman and Bruce knew all his relationships in the movie we never had any introductions 
it was always just we're right in the middle of it here is batman here's bruce he's been doing this for years he already has close relationships with gordon and alfred there was no real setup there was no flashback to him as an eight-year-old seeing his parents get shot you know it was all just we're in this world let's get going yeah which i didn't mind it felt a little weird in the beginning because i was like oh we're just we're just doing this (laughs) But I mean, I feel like generally speaking, most people get the idea of who Batman is or like what, you know, we know his parents die. You know, they don't they don't not tell you that. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought they handled it really well, because obviously it's like a similar situation to like Peter Parker and like his parents dying and like how everyone going into Tom Holland's trilogy was like, we don't need to see that again. And we haven't. And that's been fine for three movies now. In terms of the like in media res thing, I really liked it as well. Like I liked that we were just like diving in. I texted Christina after the movie though, that I had a little bit of an issue with the weird like narration at the beginning of the movie, which I guess was him like writing in his diary and it came full circle, but it felt weird for him to like just be giving us a synopsis of the past two years when like it was clearly just supposed to be starting in the moment. Like it felt like forced exposition to me. And Christina, I know you said you didn't feel like that. So like- what was the vibe it was, Yeah, it was really long. Like, I, I remember it going on longer than I expected. Um, but I think it was just, I think we both thought it was just so cool that, like, and I, I also feel like exposition-wise, I don't feel like it explained, like, I feel like it didn't explain, like, any events, really. It just kind of explained, like, it just clued you in. It just kind of characterized him and gave you an idea of, like, who, how he views mm-hmm. his role as Batman. You loved that So, part. yeah. So, Emily, <laughs> the sentiment you have of having this narration at the beginning, I totally get. Mm-hmm. And I think when the reveal that it was him just making a journal entry, and he does this regularly, made it a little better for me. But the line he said of, they think I'm hiding in the shadows, but I am the shadows, is maybe the coolest line I've ever heard in any media ever. <laughs> wow. Bold statement, bold take. No, that's, <laughs> just, that's fair. <laughs> that paired with, you know, clip after clip of these small-time Gotham criminals, you know, doing something bad, seeing the light in the sky, and then turning to look at, you know, a dark shadow behind a corner. And that fear that you could feel they have of just the idea of, of Batman even possibly finding them. Mm-hmm. You know, because that... That makes a lot of sense when you think about how big Gotham is and how much crime is there and how little Batman can really help when it comes to, you know, people knocking off liquor stores and things like that. So the fear that he has to instill people is just as much of a deterrent as him actually being there and stopping people. And I love that portrayal of it. Yeah, I I get that. And I like loved the visual aspect of it. I think there was just... Like, I would have liked it more, I think, if it had been fewer words or, like, if it had just been, like, the beautiful, like, scoring over it. Like, if we just had music and, like, every once in a while he would pop in. But visually, it was amazing. It it. was long. It was a long voiceover intro. It reminded me of the start of Dune, where it's just Zendaya being like, we are oppressed. And it's like, that went on for a while and was like, that was a huge info download to have on the perfume ad. It was a whole thing. But going back to what we said earlier, that was kind of the theme of the whole movie. Everything was long. Everything was just drawn out. <laughs> every scene, every ounce or drop of tension that you could get was taken to the max. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Okay. So let's talk about 
like Robert Pattinson in particular and his portrayal of mainly Batman. We don't get a ton of Bruce in this. The Bruce we do get is vastly different than like party boy schmoozer Bruce that Christian Bale played. And I'm not, like I said, I haven't seen any of the other ones. Would love to see the Ben Affleck ones. That's on my, on my watch list. But like, how does he compare to the other Batmans we've had, do you guys think? Corey would be able to answer better, but I think to me, just having seen the Christian Bale ones, and really liking those, I feel like I almost like that he wasn't Bruce that much because it is kind of hard for me to see him. Like, I remember sitting in the theater and feeling for the first hour or so that it was hard for me not to just like see Robert Pattinson. Like, I was just being like, like people, they would call him Bruce and I'd be like, nah, it's Robert, you know? Like, it's, it was just like hard for me to separate him for at first. But I, I like that his Bruce is different because if, if it had been Robert Pattinson playing like a playboy, Bruce philanthropist guy it would have been weird vibes like I think he was right for this particular kind of Bruce who's just kind of this broody like recluse but you know more Batman than me yeah in this movie there really wasn't a Bruce Mm -hmm. like he just was Batman even when he wasn't wearing the costume even when he was just sitting at home with Alfred in that very oversized long sleeve tee he had on at one point he was always just batman you know he had this exact same demeanor he talked to selena and gordon and criminals in the suit the same way with the same tone as he talked to alfred at the breakfast table you know so i enjoyed the batman side of that i would prefer a little more I don't know, human kind of Bruce to where he's not always just one note because that's kind of what it was. He didn't have a huge range of emotions and Mm -hmm. feelings that he was playing. It was always just kind of the same brooding emo Batman, Mm -hmm. which works in this, you know, stylized version of it. But if I were, you know, thinking of my ideal Batman movie I would want kind of there are some great scenes in like the Dark Knight trilogy where he's having conversations with Alfred and they kind of get to ideas of like can you are you capable of this is or is Bruce uh one of the lines is you know Batman has no limits Bruce said that and then Alfred says well but you do sir and you know it's that kind of acknowledgement that he is just human and this idea of is he capable of taking down these massive crime rings and stuff like that whereas in this movie it was just always ah did you get the cipher (laughs) i like that it was like he had a very specific goal in this one like it was like solving this mystery it wasn't like the goal of the film is to take down organized crime it was like we're taking care of this guy and like things spun off of that but it was like the goal was always clear Mm -hmm. I felt like yeah do you think maybe we're gonna get more like human Bruce because I almost feel like that's what the conclusion of the movie was pointing towards and like one thing I don't know if Christina you've listened to the Midnight Boys instant reactions yet but they talk a little bit about how like it still feels like he's like not over his parents deaths in this and that it's not until the end when he's like kind of realized that he's not supposed to be vengeance he's supposed to be hope for the people of the city or whatever and is like supposed to be part of the community so like I mean operating under the assumption that more films happen because everything led to that and there's no way this is a box office flop um 
like where does his character go and like where do like other people come in like does selena come back we have barry keegan as the joker which will be um thrilling though no one can ever live up to heath ledger so i don't know why people keep trying i don't know where do we go from here <laughs> yeah i think you're i think you're definitely right about the end of the movie pointing toward a bruce who kind of tries to come out a little bit more i don't think we're suddenly gonna get playboy bruce but i think we might get a bruce who you know comes out of his show like you know what it reminds me of is um like when the wakandans decide to like become involved like we're gonna get like you know him showing like t'challa showing up in like you know oakland with the fucking <laughs> spaceship um you know we're gonna get that equivalent of bruce like showing up and like kind of doing more and maybe being bruce more or maybe being batman in a different way like using batman for more do you think that the new mayor will play a role in that because yes. remember that was one of her big motivations in the movie is she said to bruce at the funeral i believe that she wants to get him into you know the limelight she wants him to use his resources and his influence and his power to do good yeah and that that might be you know his in into that realm yeah. of bruce wayne is now this public figure in gotham that's trying to help things Definitely. And I think because of his conversation with the Riddler about how he was like this orphan and like everyone forgot about like the actually poor orphans when they were thinking about Bruce. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like that may be like, you know, he didn't create the Riddler, but I think he could, you know, see that as like a, well, I need to be, you know, helping people and stuff like that. Well, I mean, they have a whole city to rebuild and you kind of need money to build, rebuild. A, I don't know how you rebuild after what happened there because all of the infrastructure is destroyed. <laughs> but, but like, I mean, his, his monetary help would probably be appreciated in that scenario. So. Yeah, yeah, probably gonna need that. <laughs> okay, what were some of the little details? I have a couple I was keeping track of like ferociously in my head, trying to remember all the things throughout this three hour movie that I wanted to talk about. The first, this is a little one, but I loved when after Gordon and Batman had interrogated Penguin on the roof, they, he's still like tied up. He has his hands together and his legs together and he like waddles after them. And I was like screaming in my head. I was like, that is great. So like, were there little moments like that? Or like, what things do you guys remember being like, oh, that was done well, or I really liked that shot or whatever? I forgot about that, but I remember thinking the same thing and being like, oh my God, he's literally waddling. Like, it's so great. Yeah, it's so great. I don't, I, did you have anything specific? Um, I don't think. Um, I feel like, I feel like there had to be stuff with, oh, this is not like a thing, but the way that Selena leaves town and she only brings one of the cats, there were like five. What did she do with the rest of the cats? Where did she put them? And her roommate's dead, so they're not with her roommate. <laughs> and I can't believe that she, she says she has a thing about strays, which that reminds me of a line from something else. And I can't remember. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's like yes. a... I also, yeah, I also was like, this sounds vaguely familiar. I've heard this before, but yeah. I can't think of what it's from. But I, yeah. So I'm like, what did she do with the freaking cats? She had to have given them to someone because... <laughs> but she chose a favorite child and then she put it she had like a cat carrier on the motor motorcycle it's like you know, what a great attachment to your motorcycle <laughs> i love the batmobile the batmobile was awesome yeah. we haven't talked about the batmobile we yeah we didn't get a lot of it in the movie it was really just the one scene but i'm okay it? with that because chases and like cool cars don't usually do that much for me 
Mm-hmm. But like, I thought it was real. It was really cool. Yeah, no, and that's fine. I don't mean we didn't get a lot of it as the negative. Mm-hmm. It's just it wasn't. It's probably not you know at the forefront of our minds coming out of it because it was it was introduced you know in the scene where they uh, him and Selena go to Penguin's you know operation mm-hmm. and he that ends up how he captures Penguin. I thought of something yeah. that you should talk about, which is the hush thing. Hush. You should explain okay. that. So <laughs> this is a little like, moment that he picked up on that I didn't know anything more. about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, this I don't want to go on, I don't want to ramble too much on this, but so you know, in the movie, they talked about two founding families of Gotham. Mm-hmm. And it was the Waynes and the Arkhams. Uh that idea of a, you know, a handful of super wealthy families from Gotham. Uh is from you know Batman stories and is from the comics, but the Arkham's was never one that I've heard mentioned as one of the families in that group. But two that always are are the Waynes and the Elliots. Um, and an Elliot is actually one of uh, Batman's, I think you know newer Batman. He's become more of a popular villain, but his name is Hush, and it's the a son of the Elliot family who's the same age as Bruce. They grew up as best friends. Um, but he was kind of an inverse of Bruce Wayne and Batman, whereas how Bruce, you know, had his parents murdered and he ended up getting their inheritance. Thomas Elliot actually wanted his parents' inheritance. He wanted their fortune. And in order to get it, he cut the brake lines in their car in an attempt to murder them so that he could have their fortune. And uh, his dad actually died in the accident but his mom survived due to emergency surgery from thomas wayne so tommy elliott kind of held that hate for bruce's dad and then eventually once the wayne parents were killed and bruce inherited their fortune he was then jealous at bruce for getting what he wanted and so he became a supervillain named hush mm-hmm. and what his deal was is he was a really gifted surgeon and it's a little comic booky in his means, but he he through incredible plastic surgery and skin grafts, he actually reconstructed his own face to look I, completely identical to Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and so, but it's really interesting in how he is a Batman villain, but his biggest enemy, you know, the the target of all of his plots and his crimes is not Batman, it's Bruce Wayne. This is a villain who actually hates Bruce Wayne. So whenever they, you know, have to have these, you know, fights and and he's up to no good, it's very different in that Bruce is very much protecting himself, you know, and his real identity as much as Batman. But anyways, getting back to this movie, the journalist that Carmine Falcone had killed his, he was an Elliot, mm-hmm. and they even called it in that little video that they played, kind of telling the whole story of how this all went down. They called it like a hush. They said story. that they paid that Tom or they pay, tried to, Thomas Wayne tried to pay him hush money, and he yeah. didn't take it, so he had him killed. And there was and a, there's a thing, and it says it's like the Riddler's little video, and it says hush really yeah. big. So that was a very clear nod to Hush and the Elliot family, and almost to the point where. 
could be foreshadowing for future movies. Uh, It'd be a different origin story because the Elliot's in the comics aren't a journalist, right? Right. Not yeah, a- it was a wealthy family that Tommy wanted that he wanted to kill his own parents. Whereas here, it is just a regular family. Their dad was a journalist who was killed by the Waynes, but that could still provide reasonable motivation for an Elliot son who hates the Waynes and hates Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne or Thomas Wayne now publicly had his dad killed for, you know, about to publish a story that would have made him look bad. So who knows if they actually pick up on that or if that was just a little Easter egg uh, for the initiated like myself. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. Well, and I I think it definitely must be foreshadowing because one thing I was thinking throughout the movie was the media was involved in it so much. Like there was like a tv clip like from the news like every single like in like instance that there could have been like usually like it's just alluded to but like there was always a tv clip there was like tons of newspaper clippings everywhere which like yeah feels like kind of like stock superhero type like motif or whatever but I I was like there it's happening a lot so that would be an interesting like tie-in to the foreshadowing of it a little like thought that I had during one of those TV broadcast like clips was I was like, literally no TV network would show an entire video of a serial killer torturing someone with rats. Even with a disclaimer of like, you might find this disturbing. Literally no network would air that. They would have a still of one of the video and that would be it. I was sitting there, I was like, they are not about to show. Or like when they played the audio of the girl getting murdered, I was like, what, what TV news station? I was like, who's getting sued? Like, it's so like bad. The broadcasting guidelines or whatever it is. Oh, really so insane. God. Oh. What did you think about, like, the, like, QAnon-ish aspect at the end and, like, him having, like, a following and, like, being, like, a dark web guy? Because I thought we that's, like, something that's very of our time right now but isn't always, like, isn't that like depicted that often or like not in a serious way? And I thought it was really interesting and had like, it was, you know, it's disturbing, but I thought it was interesting that that was something that's very like of our time. Yeah. I was going to say, I found it like very unsettling, but like, I think that's what the end of the film needed at that point, especially after Riddler was already in jail. And it's like, okay, why? Like if it had just been bombs that were planted in the air, like it wouldn't have had as much of an effect because that would have been, easy but it was yeah it was really creepy watching them watch that video and then put together that all these people were gonna cut like very eerie but I think it like fit the tone of the movie very well and yeah it added like a a sense of realism which I think is one thing like I like overall about like the Batman universe is that it's not like these crazy hyper-powered villains or anything like that it's all very street level which again is like something that they do in Daredevil as well like everyone is very street level and so it like feels more relatable or more like oh like it's easier to like put yourself potentially in this scenario than like Captain America fighting a big purple alien like I don't exactly know. and that's something I talked about like I've told Corey and I watched Daredevil and finished it recently because he hadn't seen it and I explained to him I was like Wilson Fisk is like my favorite villain like mm-hmm. ever and I really, really liked the Riddler because sometimes I just feel like, yeah, something like that that feels more real or like a person that, you know, even if I don't necessarily think that, you know, organized crime does not touch my life personally and likely never will. 
but like something that is gra- like I'm so much more afraid of like a crazy serial killer and a crime boss who decapitates people with car doors than yeah. I am a big purple alien like I because that's not you know I think they're so much more effective like Thanos is a big bad and like I love those movies and stuff but it's like I'm so much more compelled by villains that feel real yeah it was interesting too though like because I thought about it was Dark Knight right that the Colorado shooting had like the theater it was a the dark, dark night rises yeah yeah and I was like thinking about that as I was going I was, I like, about that's that. like a weird that's like a weird tie-in and I was like I'm sure that like wasn't like purposeful or like thought through or anything like that but it was like just an interesting coincidence and something I thought about but yeah the end of the movie was was deeply deeply unsettling so how did you how did you feel seeing Barry she loves him she loves like, Barry huge <laughs> druid girl well the thing is like I think I mean, obviously I knew he was in this movie. It wasn't like Harry Styles and Eternals where everyone oh, tried, no to keep, tried to keep yeah. hush hush. So like he was at the premiere, like he's listed on the website. He's listed as playing an officer. So I wonder if he shows up at like another point playing a cop. Do, do you have- I, So I saw the same thing you saw. I, I went into the movie thinking that he was just, you know, police officer number three and he yeah. just had a small role and it wasn't that big of a deal. But as the movie went on and we never saw him, um, I, I actually did see a minor spoiler on Twitter uh, a few days before I actually saw the movie. And it was someone talking about the Joker being in the movie. And someone just replied to this tweet and said, yes, yeah, the guy from Eternals. And so as soon as I saw that, I knew who they were talking about. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, you see something on Twitter, you don't know if it's real. And we did see on imdb it listed him as some officer so i didn't know but i'm i'm very uh intrigued to see what that looks like because it's not even just his performance but you know how they write him how they have him interact with batman and with gotham you know what his motivations are it seemed like he was befriending riddler a little bit there at the end whenever they were at Arkham I wonder if does that mean you know Riddler is not finished in this universe is he going to be part of whatever Joker's plans are moving forward um another thing I wonder is if Joker and Batman have met before in this yeah because he was already in jail so like clearly he's done something or he was in I guess he's in Arkham so it's more like hospital jail but he's done something to land him where he is so I didn't even think about that, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so nervous because I like want it to be good, you know, like I I want it to be good, and it's just like, obviously, no one can ever replace like he like no one will ever top Heath Ledger, and I don't think that I think they know that, but like, I'm just like, what if it's bad? What if it's Jared Leto? So bad? yeah, I'm. We've talked about how I'm a big Batman guy, but I am probably more protective as a character of the Joker <laughs> as I am Batman and Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously Heath Ledger was incredible, but if I'm gonna be honest, if I think of the Joker in my head, I don't first go to Heath Ledger. I go to Mark Hamill and how much he did with the Joker in various animated shows, movies, video games. I mean, he's been 20 years now uh voicing the Joker, and he's had tons of great stuff he's done. And so kind of like you mentioned Jared Leto. I, the disdain I have 
for Jared Leto's Joker <laughs> is greater than anything else I have ever had in any movie. I think it's like the show. most like angry I've ever heard you is talking about the Jared Leto Joker. <laughs> And and the uh, and the Ben Affleck Batman killing people. Yeah, both of those things upset him deeply. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like I I get the whole Batman's not supposed to kill people, and I think that's very honorable. But also, how do you guarantee that all those people are getting like arrested or are not going to run away? Like, I feel like there's a large margin of error there if you're not like immediately detaining them and taking them somewhere. I also feel like there was less of an emphasis in this movie on him. Like they mention it. They're like, no guns. That's your thing. Like Mm -hmm. they mention it and stuff, but it's, I felt like I kind of liked that it wasn't, you know, like daredevil. That's like a really central thing. And like other, you know, it was, it's possible in any Batman story for them to make that a very central thing about his like morality or whatever. And I, I kind of liked that it wasn't, really all about that or like it wasn't very heavy into that because it's like we know we get it yeah and and a lot of the christopher nolan trilogy hung its hat on that as it's his kind of i mean that's his main motivation of leaving the league of shadows and you know the batman begins and becoming his own thing is because they wanted to fight crime but they were executioners they wanted to just rid the world of evil by tons and tons of murder and that wasn't his game and so there was a little bit of that in this movie you know him trying to stop selena that was a really good moment of him i liked that a lot. explaining that uh her getting her revenge by killing falcone it wouldn't make her feel any better um that he needs to pay and, and she doesn't to, yeah, yeah i love that yeah i liked that moment a lot so it was subtle in his you know lack of killing people but it was still there and i appreciate that because to me that's one of the most important things and that's what separates him from you know like a punisher type or any other anti-hero who is can easily be viewed as just as insane and just as crazy as the villains that he tries to stop yeah, that's a good point. And I think that this has been very informative. I thank you, Corey. <laughs> thank you, Christina, as well. But Corey, just bam, like huge Batman knowledge going on here. Yes. Um, yeah, no, that was great. Thank you guys for discussing with me. I, I might have to like check back in like and like ask some more questions. I'm sure I'll either go see it again or just like through the course of the internet, like come across something and be like, wait, is that actually true? So I will be checking in with you, Corey, for Batman lore and Christina. I was just going to say, anytime you want to dive off the deep end in Batman lore, I am all for it. Perfect. Great. I hope you all appreciated the the knowledge and the insight shared by Corey and Christina. (laughs) But um, during that, that little segment, I know I was having a blast. I should, I should release some of the like, zoom footage of these these guest talks because I was definitely like oh my god like reacting a lot um even even more so than you can like hear because obviously I don't want to be talking over anyone when we're recording those so like I try to be I try to be quiet like an interview um but yeah I hope you guys all learned a lot and have questions I'd love to like at some point do like just like a really hodgepodge mailbag of like a bunch of different things either that I've talked about on the pods or just like questions in general that you want to get my opinions on. So be thinking of that. Maybe, maybe I'll do that in a couple episodes or something, but 
I don't think I'm going to do top five pop culture things to pay attention to this week on this episode just because I feel like I've been a little out of it, um, out of the loop on certain things. I'll like quick hit fire off like Bridgerton season two is coming. So get ready for that. Outer Banks three started filming. Um, and there's promo pictures for that where Chase Stokes and Madeline Klein were holding hands, but apparently it was just for promo sake, which wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, Olivia Rodrigo is confirmed to have a scaled back role in HSMTMTS, which is not a surprise. I, I, I saw that coming from a mile away. I hope everyone else did as well, because there's just simply no way that after the events of the past year and a half, two years, year and a half, really, that she was going to keep doing that show and working with Josh and all of that stuff. So disappointing, um, but unsurprising on that front. I literally, right before recording this, just saw a tweet from the Culture Crave account that I follow. Um, I don't know where they got this, but they said that apparently a bunch of Pixar creators were speaking out about how LGBTQ storylines that they had in like original cuts of tons of Pixar films got scrapped after like corporate reviews, which is really disappointing to hear, especially like for more recent films, which doesn't get into like which films they would have been. But um, I'm assuming that's in relation to the don't say gay bill that's happening in Florida right now, which is another thing that like I'm going to like refrain on speaking on until I'm educated more. I can tell you that I don't agree with it. Um, but yeah, not great stuff there. I, I almost have five things now, so I feel like I just need to round it out. Um, oh, well, my guy, Horsecock Drew Locke, is coming to Seattle. I'm not going to talk about who's leaving because it will make me sad. But, but Drew Locke's coming to Seattle, and that is something we can all be happy about, or at least I can be happy about. And no, we all can be happy about this. I can be happy about it. And all of you Kansas City fans that refused to cheer for him because you're so set on the Chiefs, you can cheer for Drew Locke now again because he's not in your conference. So thank you for listening. Keep an eye out for more newsletters. I just did one earlier today about the Kenobi trailer, which I'm beyond hyped for. And yeah, have a good rest of your week. I'll chat pop culture with you soon.